anything to do with a certain religion, do you think? No, is there anything is it? like that? No, no it's more to do no. with a kind of a drug, isn't it? It's a drug. Yeah, well, those that take it want to be, ought to be ashamed well. of themselves. According to The Sun, there were thousands of empty ecstasy wrappers littering the floor of the 250-foot-long hangar. Drugs, sex, sensation. Some newspapers have called acid house music a sinister and evil cult which lures young people into drug-taking. The message is certainly getting across. The organisers kept the location secret until the very last moment, which was the main reason, according to the papers, why there were so few police here and they were unable to act. Drug-crazed kids, some as young as 12, boogied for eight hours yesterday at Britain's biggest ever ecstasy bash. The party took place here, infiltrated by reporters from the Mail and the Sun. There's, there's meant to be a drugs-related craze. What do you know about acid house music? It must affect the brain in some way. Unless it's just the music that does it. it. All knows? them lights flashing don't do you any good either, do it? <laughs> oh, I wouldn't even go in the no. pub where them lights are. So here we are on my desktop. Um, before we go any further, I don't normally do this, and this is the first time I've done it, but here we go. We have a new emerging channel on YouTube, and we really need some support. We need some subscribers. We need some comments. We need some thumbs up. And we just basically need some support. So... All the podcast episodes are listed. We've also got loads of different podcast clips that we add that we make especially for the channel. We've also got other playlists here. We've got Acid House documentaries. So all the Acid House documentaries we find, we will try and list on the channel. We have house music documentaries again, all the house music, dance music documentaries. So we've got loads of different playlists that we are updating on a regular basis. So come over to the channel subscribe hit the notifications button didn't think i'll ever be saying that and give us some support it's a new channel so we do need that support we are over on the social media channels we are on twitter obviously so follow us on twitter we do other stuff exclusive stuff that we also produce just for twitter um we also have an instagram page hit us up on the instagram page look you can see it's all new so we do need some support. Also, for our website, you can actually go to our website and get all the show notes and all extra videos and any links that we have and any resources that we have connected to the people that we actually interview. That's all on the 88podcast.com. You can also listen to all the episodes. We've got them all listed here. We've got all the links to the YouTube channels, to the YouTube videos as well. And before we go any further, I think it's a good idea if we started with the part one of the media hype. So media hype part one, I just give you a quick update on what we spoke about and what we went over. And so in the last episode, which it's not really running in chronological order to be fair, but in the last episode, it was all about 1988. So we looked at it's groovy, it's cool, it's our Acid House t-shirt. 
the evil of ecstasy. We spoke about acid house fashion ranges. We spoke about <laughs> the army of baseball bat brutes. The fact it all sounds a bit culty. Uh, radio helplines, panic attacks, mass acid house orgies. Now, that's something I missed. Well, I've had some of that. I mean, we had some of the hotels, but hey, that's different. Um, let's go. So, so media height part two. Now it's 1989. Woo. <laughs> so how I'm really going to approach this, I'm going to really approach it in a freestyle way. Most of these articles I haven't read for absolute years, probably at the time when I got the articles and maybe again when I scanned them, but maybe not because I actually scanned quite a lot of them. But so it's I'm doing this freestyle. I'm going to go over it. I'm going to the, the headlines, the clickbait headlines are what's going to actually bring me to the actual article itself. But one of the things I will say, this powerful image really kind of hits you because 1988 was the year when the Volkswagen logo became this, the smiley face logo. Now, that's for those who are listening on the audio podcast. So it's quite true because, so if you remember on the lead up to Acid House, the other kind of iconic image was that of the Volkswagen and the, the Volkswagen logo. And it wasn't just the logo, it was the actual symbol that was taken directly off of the cars and I, I remember the Beastie Boys they were among one of the groups that kind of championed the Volkswagen uh, logo and I've got to be honest people were stealing them you know in Hackney it, you hardly saw a Volkswagen vehicle without its logo taken off it got to a point where owners actually removed their symbols themselves just to you know to stop anyone else doing it so it, the volkswagen logo really had an impact and again it was the beastie boys that championed that and at the time when they were doing their music especially the track you got to fight for your right to party in europe we were fighting for our right to party and it was we had a slightly different experience to those in america and some say that we were allowed to go so far in in that we were doing these massive massive parties all around the country and we were only allowed to get that far because the fact that we didn't have police officers with guns and in america obviously they had that um and so it was different and so the volkswagen logo that was a powerful image and so it literally, in 1988, it was replaced with the smiley face logo. And that's that's a fact. This was a little bit more friendly to, to everybody because it wasn't being ripped off of the front of anybody's cars. So it was a little bit more people friendly. <laughs> but where should we start? Because there's so many different places that we can start here. Shall I start with, because we're talking about the, the hype of Acid House and we've just gone through 88 and there was quite a lot of press cuttings for 1988 and there was a lot of bad press, um, Acid House press for 1988. 
And so in 1989, there are a lot more people that have heard of it. And whereas the old school firm, they thought it was coming to an end, these newspaper articles actually brought it into the household of everyone in the country. So at this point, everyone wants to go to parties, whether it's in Manchester, Liverpool, Blackburn, London, down south, you know, <laughs> Dorset, I mean, it, it, Wales, it, it really didn't matter where it was, Scotland, these events were taking place all over the country. Everyone wanted to take part. Now, you had the big parties, the Sunrises, the Energies, Biologies, the Genesis, and some others, and a lot of the promotion for that, well, to be up to be fair, it wasn't like today you had the internet. We had no internet. And we had we did we we were although our parties were being promoted up north, say in Liverpool or Manchester or, or wherever they were, all over the country generally, it wasn't because we had huge networks of pirate radio stations that were playing our ads. We only had our pirate radio ads were being played in London. So this was really word of mouth. This was people connecting and people talking amongst themselves. And that's really how, you know, that publicity, the fact that people, this it was nationwide, that's how it was generated. It was simply word of mouth. People were so excited about what was transpiring that they, they shared it with everyone that they could. And that's why it got around the country so quickly, you know. Um, these were some, these were in a, in a folder marked Genesis. And so these were some, just to give you some of the headlines that were made for our parties. And I'll, just, I'll start with this one. And as you can see, we've got some few different headlines here. Acid kids are duped. <clears throat> Excuse me. Acid kids are duped in a £160,000 party con. We've got acid wins. Village fury over 13-hour acid rampage. New Year terror as steamers run riot. Acid party revelers bid to outwit, outwit police. We have an acid New Year. Acid party beats New Year ban. Acid party finds a home. Acid bosses defy cop ban. Ecstasy, the party's over. And ravers attack police now they're all in this genesis folder which i've obviously thrown in there at some point but this one this bit of clickbait here looks exciting so i took a little bit about this one so we're just going to open it and i will read what it says so the article that we're going to look at first is acid kids are duped in a hundred and sixty thousand pound party con by Sun Reporter, because that was happening quite a lot back then as well. A lot of anonymous Sun, well, a lot of anonymous reporters, full stop. So they wasn't even willing to put their names against this clickbait, essentially, that they were creating and these sensationalized headlines. And I remember this one because the reason why I remember this one was obviously it made headlines such as this. And I ended up you know, police contacted me. Well, they didn't con actually contacted me. They actually contacted Maxine from Brighton, bless her cottons. And she was originally Carl Cox's manager. They contacted her. And if I take it back a little bit, this party, what, ha what actually happened was 
I was giving out flyers outside the club one day and I was given this flyer and it was really a rubbish flyer on a cheap bit of paper and it was called New World Genesis. No, it, yeah, it was called New World Genesis and it was called um, the Mandela Peace Festival or something. Actually, it might be down here. Oh, here, here you go. The event was billed as the New World Genesis Mandela Field Festival. So that's what that's what it was actually called. Now, I'd never heard of this party. Uh, we we didn't know who was doing this party. The full story I won't go into right now, but it is in my book. But so this I met, basically met this chap named Steve, who wanted to be a DJ, and we met at the um, the rave shop Mash which was this huge retail outlet on Oxford Street. And it was one of the first places that were, well, I guess it was made and created by people that actually grew from the scene as opposed to Topshop and all these types of major retail outlets. So this outlet was created by some dudes that were on the scene. They commissioned loads of young designers to create t-shirts, jeans, you know, jumpers, hats, and all, all fashion ranges you know themed towards acid house and geared towards that market and it would be banged out you'd go down there it would be because it was quite a huge big shop and you'd go down there they had a record shop in there and that record shop was called passion records and your guy steve down there um and we started using it as a ticket outlet because it made sense to use it as a ticket outlet because there would be people going in there seven days a week however long it was open i can't remember i don't know if it was open on sundays and it was a hugely popular place so when i would go down there to collect ticket money or to drop tickets off or flyers off or what it may be the lads there were really cool uh, i know steve is he's a dj now um and he plays out but they were really cool and you'd go down there you have conversation and you talk generally have general conversation and you'd meet people down there because obviously no one knew who we were and you'd stand there having a conversation with someone at the the, the record shop and then people would realize that you were the guy doing the party whatever so you'd get in different conversations you'll meet different people and djs also because djs would be there buying records and this guy steve is one of those dudes he was buying records and you know i was there and you know he said he was a great dj and stuff so i said cool give me a demo tape some DJs, they didn't like giving you demo tapes, but at the time, you know, everyone was giving demo tapes. So if, especially if, if I don't know who you are, never met you before, you've got no CV, you know, I mean, all the other boys, obviously your Grooves and your Fabios and all the lads, you, you don't need a demo tape because they've got a CV. But if you have no CV, then you've got to provide a demo tape. And so I said to the chat, you know, get a demo tape. And that was it. I heard no more about it. And then the next thing I know, this New World Genesis Mandela Field Festival flyer was out. Again, it was a rubbish flyer and it just appeared with, and it appeared on my radar a week before the actual party. So I don't know how long the flyer was on the market, but a week before, and it had about five or six um, ticket outlets on it. So I immediately contacted the ticket outlets just to say that because it, it, no one would be using the word Genesis. You just can't use someone else's brand name. That would cause you some major issues back then. And rightly so. And 
anything that's going to have the word Genesis is it in it uh, during 1988 to 1990 for us it was almost like a direct attack on your brand because people are cashing in and you know this security can definitely consider it an attack and so it will be dealt with accordingly and most of the time because it happened a couple of times you know so most of the time it, just a phone call was all it it actually needed and that's what happened with this chat so the first thing i did was i contacted all of the different um ticket outlets said that it told let them know that it wasn't a genesis party and the odds of it actually going on are basically zero it's not going to happen um we didn't know who the part the promoter was we didn't know where the party was going to be you know it was talking about the, the i can't remember if the address might have been on the ticket but we didn't know who this chap and you know we had no information about it and the ticket outlets immediately said to us that they hadn't sold many tickets and this is a week before the event they hadn't sold many tickets and that they, they would stop selling tickets and maxine from brighton said that the police had already contacted her and were asked telling her that they weren't happy with the event and they were going to try and stop the event themselves and she was one of the ticket outlets as i said on the flyer and that was why they contacted her they probably contacted the others as well so when i contacted her she was happy to hear from me because she said the police had already contacted them and i told her well it's nothing to do with us and the odds on it's not going to happen and that was that and she kind of she spoke to them and i spoke to her again she said you know the police were happy that you're not involved and that was that was it and then we spoke to the got ended up a bit of a drama with the lad in that there's all the security you know we ended up someone phoning us and telling us who it was and they gave us his address and so it ended up the security was like we're going to go down there to see the chap and we ended up in a car on the way to the chap and it was the chap it was the this this dj that would met basically you know in mash so again i didn't know this that was the first time i'd met the chap and this was going to be the second time i met the chap so we're all on our way and i'm on the way with all these lumps you know and they're basically saying it's not going to happen so we're on our way down there i phoned him a few times because at the end of the day i didn't really want it to come on top for the guy all i really wanted was for the party to be cancelled you know that's all i really wanted because at that point i realized that he, it is he is actually trying to use our genesis name it wasn't like a mistake it wasn't because i know there was a, there was a, another firm up north somewhere and they used that genesis name and 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 i honestly believe that it wasn't they wasn't trying to steal our name um and they may not have even heard of us but this guy he was definitely stealing our name and trying to cash in on our brand and and that's not going to happen and when you've got lumps like that <laughs> we're getting 25 percent of your profits they're not going to have it so we were on our way down to the chat again it's in the book you know he, he he was very evasive and then he cancelled the party that's the bottom line so he cancelled the party and this is probably like on the monday or something i can't remember it wasn't too far after i found out that we we got the his details 
And on the Monday, so we heard no more about it. But then on the Monday, I can't remember. Oh, I was going to say, I can't remember what newspaper, but this was in the sun. And obviously it's quite a big piece. And it, again, it reads, acid kids I duped, are duped in £160,000 party con. Now, let me, now, let me just read this. Con men who made up to £160,000 by selling tickets for a bogus acid house party were being hunted by detectives last night. Up to 10,000 youngsters forked out £16 a head for the bash, which never took place. When hundreds converged on a village early yesterday, they were turned back by police who told them there is no party. More than 130 officers, some with riot gear, were ready in case violence flared when angry revelers found out they had been conned. Partygoers had been promised a huge laser and sound show, swimming pool and funfair at the event in Nuingate near Dawkins, Surrey. One teenager, there's always emphasis on teenagers, and that's one of the things I was pointing out in media hype part one there's always an emphasis on organizers there's always an emphasis on teenagers they're always 14 or 15 and that was really trying to scare parents to you know demand action from mps you know to demand demand change so in effect they were being lobbied you know one teenager said we were told it was going to be a massive party with thousands of people we ended up in the middle of a field with no way of getting home. Furious. Another added, I came here to have a good time, but this is the worst night of my life. Worst night of your life. Dude, you haven't lived, mate. You know, the police have confiscated my ticket. Chief Inspector Colin Cramphorn said, we are investigating this as a fraud. As far as we're concerned, it's all been a big con. Police seized tickets on sale in London, Sussex and Hampshire by organisers calling themselves Exodus. So remember that phone calls were put. I mean, again, again, this is media spin. It isn't spin from the police uh, office, you know, from the police press office. So you can't really put this on police. The police knew ahead that the party was cancelled. So and these tickets the flyer that i received i'm sure they didn't do that many flyers i'm sure that those flyers didn't get in that many places and it was a rubbish flyer i still got it somewhere and so the idea that at this stage in the game i can't remember what date it was but yeah at this stage in the game no one was selling ten thousand tickets up front not sunrise, not energy, nobody, not biology. No one was selling 10,000 tickets up front because at this time there were loads of parties that had already been stopped. And so lots of people had already, lot, people didn't lose their money on Genesis tickets and some of the more organized promoters because if you lost a ticket, i.e. if the party got crashed at one of our events, your tickets were still valid for the next party. Just in, just no question about it, you know? So, and that's how it was with a lot of the organized promotions. If we got stopped, then your ticket is valid for our next event, whenever that may be. So selling tickets, 10,000 tickets in advance, 
No one did that. Not at this stage of the game. So they're saying, that, again, this is all stirring up trouble. This was all stirring up fear amongst parents, fear amongst ravers, because they realized that what they needed to do, they'd already kind of created a, red, a wedge between us and government. They've already created a wedge between us and the police force. And they've already, and now, and they've created a wedge between, again, the public. I don't know if I repeated that. But what they're doing here is they're creating, they're creating a wedge between party promoters and party goers, ravers, you know, in general terms. So they realize that that's what they need to do. They need to create a mistrust of party promoters. And in, in a lot of cases, I can agree with them, but the bigger parties, the bigger party promoters, that, that they wasn't doing that. And the fact is, all of these stories about acid house promoters earning huge, vast amounts of money, like this, for example, if you as criminals at this time, they were robbing post offices for £20,000, okay? So they're looking at these newspapers and they're saying £160,000. There's £160,000 cash, because that's what they're thinking. This is cash, and it's all on the site of where these events are happening. These people, they're all on drugs, you know, drinking water, running around, flower power type thing. I mean, that to me, that sounds like easy pickings for those types of men, you know. So that's what this type of thing encouraged. It, it did encourage promoters that, you know, had, had no empathy for the people that were going to their parties. They were doing it for the money. And a lot of party promoters did, party promoters did con people. But I would say... In terms of per percentage, I would say that that was maybe that was a third, you know, maybe a third saw rich pickings in creating fake parties. But those parties, they were soon, you could only do it once. And as I said, it it got to that point where a couple of things happened. Originally, when we started doing parties and we started selling tickets, you could go to your ticket outlets and you could get the money up front. Then when all these new stories started coming out when a couple of people conned um people i.e the party didn't happen or i, I would say I, you can't say conned for all of them you know their their venue might have got crashed you know and but they'd already been collecting the ticket money up front but their venue got crashed so there wasn't necessarily conning people their party just got crashed and maybe they were using that money for the next event or whatever you know but so in effect, so what so what happened next was that the ticket outlets they stopped actually giving the money to promoters up front. We started creating contracts with ticket outlets and ticket agents, and the deal was that you would get your money forty eight hours after the event to make sure that the event actually happened. You know, um, and that's what it was all about at that point. It was all about a party happening and people being there and then you get your ticket money on monday morning when you turn up at the ticket outlets but so no one was selling ten thousand tickets up front definitely not so that was quite a bit of bad publicity it works for them let's go 
back into feed. So what's this one? Well, let's tell you what, rather than going on about Genesis, let's have a look at some of the other ones. All right, so in this, what's what this one, Ray? This folder is called Raids, and in it we've got a few articles. One of them, the headlines are 30 seized at Acid Party. Another headline is Big Acid Swoop. Another, Drugs Police Raid Nightclub. Police Smash Acid Parties. Sending Paras to Beat Drug Evil. Let's have a look at this. Now, this is 1989. And this was a reader's reaction to a headline. I'll, I'll find this, this headline. It was the spaced out headline, which was a famous front page. And so this is a reaction to that front page. And that front page, which I should dig up now, but I'll dig it up in a bit. That was um, spaced out. And it was something like, you know, 20,000 people on acid, something like that. But dig it up after. But the response to that was one of the public says, sending powers to beat drugs evil. It seems the authorities have no problem at all gathering together several thousand policemen whenever the hippies converge on Stonehenge. But they are sadly lacking when it comes to tackling the drug barons with their fierce dogs, tear gas, and the other weapons they use to keep their clients in order. Who is running the country anyway? How can we let the evil pushers kill our youngsters with their filthy drugs? If the cops can't handle it, perhaps the parachute regiment should be dropped in the next bash. And that was a person from Hackney, East London. And that was before it got posh. So, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> so here they are. I mean, they're saying that we have fierce dogs, tear gas, and loads of other weapons, because that's how it was coming across to the general public. Uh, another reaction is, where do kids as young as 14 get the £40 entrance fee for these acid house parties? Their parents must be pretty slack if they don't know their children have this much money. Now, there wasn't any parties going off at £40 a hit. There wasn't any. And what this is doing is this is trying to highlight parents because, again, they're talking about teenagers as young as 14. Um, and so what they're trying to do is they're trying to find a way of getting making parents responsible and you know, parents being um, fined and getting penalties for their kids out at these raves. And this was actually suggested later on. Um, I don't know if it was a few years later, but it was something that was suggested later on that these parents get fined if their kids are caught at an acid house party. So if that comes back out in, in recent current times, you know, that's an old one. Um, another, another reader said, what is this country coming to? We refuse to help the victims of apartheid for financial reasons. We refuse to help the Chinese students for business reasons. We campaign against drugs, but let 11,000 children have a night of ecstasy and our police don't act because it may induce a mini riot. What happened to military backup or our million pound campaign to crush the pushers? 
I would like an answer for those responsible for these decisions. I mean, that's the impact that these newspaper stories were having. And it did create an environment. It did push it under back underground, just as, as people thought it was safe to go back in the water. It did push it back underground. And whilst underground, it did leave us open and vulnerable to organized crime, essentially. Let's have a look at... Let's have a look at a fun one, Adamski. I had Adamski on the podcast just recently. Bless him. I think that that was episode eight, actually. And we did speak about this um, article. And so I can't remember what newspaper this is in, but it's one of the big ones. It's either Daily Mirror or The Sun. And the story is headlined, £150,000 Adamski to DJ at Disney. And, you know, some of us believed it at the point, at the, at the time, because we didn't really understand spin. I mean, we learned it through Acid House. We learned it through the articles and the media campaign that was against us. That's when we learned about newspaper or media spin. And that's when we learned how it could turn against you in a heartbeat. And when those lights are focused on you, it can be quite daunting and it can be hard to make yourself look innocent if you have no platform. And these days, the first thing they do is deplatform you. So even if you built a platform, <laughs> you know, you get deplatformed first and then there's no way of you really reputing or there's no recourse for you, you know, standing up for yourself, essentially. So Adamski looks set to earn £150,000 for four hours of work at the world's biggest acid rave. He will host a huge acid house rave at Disney World in sunny Florida. The 22-year-old keyboard wizard from Wandsworth, South London, currently topping the charts with his hit single, Killer, will be the DJ at the July Bash. More than 100,000 dance fans will pay £20 each to attend the all-night spe spectacular in Orlando. Organisers expect to make a million pound profit and Adamski, real name Adam, will be walking around with a grin as big as a Mickey Mouse. He has successfully negotiated a cool 15% profit deal. So Adamski is getting 15% on top of £150,000 from this million pound profit. Um, Last night, Adamski told me if they prepared, if they're prepared to pay that sort of money, then I'm sure everything will be all right on the night of the big party. Adamski shot to fame with his energy single and the follow up killer has been made, has been at the top slot for three weeks. I mean, that's his instrumental uh, debut album, Live and Direct, has already chalked up 70,000 sales. But getting back to the killer, at that point, killer would have been at number one for three weeks. I mean, that's just huge. Well done, Adam. That was absolutely huge. And there's a picture of him with a former partner and the mother of his daughter, uh, Natalie. Hey, how are you, Nat? So that was Damsky. And also in that Adamski uh, episode, we spoke about his front cover for, I think it was Energy, one of, one of, one of his 
uh, 12 inch singles, the final, it was the bottle. I mean, everybody that knows this period will know it. It was the Lucas a bottle. And this was the story that came out at the time. So I'm imagining that this must be, I think this must be 1989. And uh, the headline is Adamski in fizz over Lucasade. Adamski was feeling less than bubbly last night after he was charged two and a half thousand pounds for using the famous Lucasade logo on the front cover of his hit single without permission. Bosses at Beecham who made the fizzy drink advertised by Daley Thompson, bubbled with anger when a teenage son of one of their executives spotted an exact copy of the Lucasade bottle on posters promoting the keyboard wizard song NRG, which is at number 12. Now, Adamski's record company, MCA, have paid £2,500 to the Nordoff Robbins Music Therapy Charity. Adamski, 22, tells me, I wanted the bottle because everyone at the warehouse raves where I play drinks it to get the energy to dance. People even ask for a dancey flavoured Lucasade in shops. A Beecham spokesman said it was an infringement of our, of our copyright and we felt that we should they should make a charity donation. Now we spoke to Adamski and Adamski actually said he hates Lucasade and my generation, he was and the, the reason he gave was because and I agree with him is our generation we remember Lucasade as something that you drank when you were sick when you had a cold that was generally what was given to you and it had that horrible taste you know but it did make a huge comeback during that period so that was that so let's have a look at some stuff let's have a look at Sunrise. Oh, so here, here's that article. Although you can't really see it because this is actually a photograph that I took of a T-shirt, actually. But this was the famous front cover, and this was in June, June 26, Monday, June 26, 1989. And this was the Sunrise party at White, White Wolverman, and, and this was the party that I'd been to. This was an amazing party. 11,000 youngsters go drug crazy at big and Britain's biggest ever acid party. I mean, it was an insane event and that was definitely one of the parties, the best parties of the whole entire scene. And I remember this um, dance platform. That was incredible. It really was an incredible party, but I can't actually see what it says to read it. So I, I can't read it. So I won't. Ah, oh, but this was, <laughs> this was in the sun. And this was on the 27th of June, 1989. And this was after, and this was after the, the, uh, the sunrise party that I was just talking about. This was the sunrise party in White Waltham. And it's a illustration of an aircraft hangar. And there are loads of uh, happy people f literally flying out of this air aircraft hangar. Well, there's only five of them. Um, and there's one a girl is actually topless. And there's a sign saying White Wolvermere Field and there's a dove and there are two policemen, the heads of two policemen, and they're speaking into a radio. And they're saying the acid party's over, Sarge. They're taking off for home. And the illustration was done by Franklin. And Franklin, he is famous for doing illustrations for all of the political stuff. So 
normally you'll see someone of a political stance being referred to by Franklin in these illustrations that he did. And this time it's, it's Acid House. And this was the party that on the way home from this party, it was on the way home. Well, it's Monday. So, wow. <laughs> so I do remember getting this newspaper on the way home from the party. So that's insane. Or, or I could be mixing it up with um, a different story that maybe came out on the Sunday. But as far as I remember, we got we got these newspapers on the way home from that party. So maybe we can, we had an after party or something like that. But that was a great event. And this was from that story. And so again, they were sensationalizing stuff in this, 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 those newspaper articles. And this one from the same party, beheaded pigeons littered the floor of the hangar after Sunday's party. Youngsters were so high on ecstasy and cannabis, they ripped the birds' heads off. Their bodies lay among thousands of empty drink cans and pieces of foil which had contained the drugs. Also littering the huge building were leaflets advertising other acid house parties at future dates and venues. So going back to their bodies lay among thousands of empty soft drink cans and pieces of foil which had contained the drugs. Now, the foil that they're speaking about are the little square bits of foil that come out of theatrical bangs. You know, Sunrise had a few theatrical bangs at that party, and at some point or another, they just explode, and, you know, all, all, all this glittery foil comes down from the ceiling, and it, and it looks amazing with all the lights and stuff, particularly back then. Um, and that's what they were seeing on, on the ground, and everyone knows that to be fair and the size of them you know they, it was so it was just an out and out lie basically and beheaded pigeons out and out lie beheaded pigeons littered the floor of the hangar after sunday's party what do you think this was this wasn't a ritual it wasn't a sacrifice this was a party you know um so that was all lies too and you think why would they say that you know and the floor, you know, I mean, okay, you, you saw it in the daylight, possibly. And so for a while, sun, Sunrise kind of became the focus of the media attentions, particularly after that front page. And so they they went Tony mad and they were trying to get any kind of content that they could about our boy Tony C. And so here's a story. And there's a picture of Tony, and Tony is disguised with a wig and dark glasses, and he's got a tux on. And it's one of the, his many disguises that, I mean, I'm sure he won't be annoyed if if I say, you know, that back then he would have to, he got, he was, he was a hardcore gambler. And he, he had loads of different systems of what he would do, you know, and he, at one point he was banned from all of the casinos. And so what he would do, he would dress up as different characters, tycoons with bodyguards, you know, the whole nine yards. And he would go to different casinos and play, basically. 
and the the newspapers got hold of this story somehow if that's what they're talking about because again i haven't read this in advance but uh, let's see charity cash row over acid mr fix it as i said they were really hungry for anything they could to do with tony at this point has he got the date up there they can't see it. it's underneath no okay uh, charity cash row over acid mr fix it hospital deny he has helped by simon hughes and michael fielder acid house mr fix it tony colsonator was at the center of an amazing new row last night over his claims to be a charity do-gooder tony who admitted helping to organize britain's biggest ever acid house bash has linked himself to three famous charity organizations tickets for the new acid house parties claimed donations would go to the world famous great ormond street children's hospital london the environmental group greenpeace and a fund called help a london child great ormond street hospital said we had never heard from this man and help a london child said we have no trace of donate of him donating any money a Greenpeace official said Col said Colsonator had made free approaches to them and offered a donation of a thousand pounds. So he did approach them. The official said he called himself Colsonator of Worldwide Productions and said they promoted big parties. But she had said that Colsonator had not been given permission to use the Greenpeace name. A detective said if they if they gave just a fiver to charity, they will stay inside the law. Home Secretary Douglas Hurd has ordered a major inquiry into drug pushers plaguing the acid house scene. The move followed a sun investigation into the Colts huge weekend thrash in Berkshire, which attracted £11,000. So there you go. It's, they're calling it a cult. Colsonator claimed to be so successful in casinos, he was banned from every major gambling club in Britain and had to disguise himself in a wig and dark glasses to gain entry. In our report of our acid, in our report of an acid party at White Wolverham, Berkshire, and in our Franklin cartoon on Tuesday, we referred to the event as having taken place on White Wolverham Airfield. We are asking to make it clear that the party in fact, in fact took place on land adjoining the airfield. Contrary to what was said in one of the reports on Monday the 26th of June, no vehicles were parked on the runway at the airfield. We now realise this would have been a, a serious breach of civil, of civil Aviation Authority regulations, which could have resulted in the operator of the airfield losing its CAA licence. We apologise to West London Aero Services Limited, the operator of White Wolverham Airfield, for any embarrassment caused to them by our reports. So they're basically looking for anything that they can to now discredit the man. And that man, in this case, is Tony. And, and Tony was a, an excellent publicist. And so I know a lot of this, he was encouraging himself and his team were spinning it. And they were spinning it in the best way they could because they wanted to do the biggest parties that they possibly could. And... So it was in his interest to to spin it. And not only that, it was to also bring attention to the fact that these events were being stopped for 
whatever reason was being given at the time that huge amounts of money were being spent on production and jobs were being and employment was being created through these events and that promoters should be given a chance to put these parties on legally. So he was drawing attention to the legalization of staging parties and he was also drawing attention to Sunrise and himself as an individual. Um, and so now they're trying to also destroy his character. And I mean, one of one of these best, uh, most publicized things that he that he did. Um, again, we're talking about Tony from Sunrise, one of the best uh, uh, PR stunts that he did was that he was invited onto the chat show with Jonathan Ross. And at that time, Jonathan Ross, he was emerging as one of the great talents of Channel 4. Channel 4 was, you know, the great youth-orientated new channel that was edgy. And so it had all of these edgy characters that were presenting different music-related news programs or music-related programs and chat shows and but they were all geared towards the youth you know and by youth i mean you know i don't mean 15 14 15 year olds because top of the pops was for that i mean for you know edgy so like 18 and over it was more of that demographic than anything else say 18 and over um jonathan ross was running, running the most successful youth orientated chat shows at the time and so obviously the, he uh tony got invited onto the show after doing these massive events and so the headline reads fight me acid king tells ross the exclusive by peter willis chat show host johnny from ross was last night challenged to settle a tv war of words in a boxing ring Acid House King Tony Colsonator hit back after Ross threatened to punch him during a live interview. Yuppie Colsonator 22 boasted, I'll give that man £1,000 if he can knock me out. <laughs> Go on, Tony. Tony's offered him £1,000, a charity £1,000 if, if, if Jonathan Ross can knock him out. Go on, son. He's offered to arrange the match at his massive New Year's Eve acid party in london the row the row the row <laughs> the row began when colsonator suddenly handcuffed himself to the telestar during channel 4's live sunday show one hour one hour with jonathan ross but millions of viewers watched in astonishment as ross hit back you do that again and i'll thump you last night a spokesman for ross said that he was unlikely to take up the challenge now what this is referring to is a TV show. They invited Tony on and Tony handcuffed himself to Johnny from Ross live on TV. I didn't realize it was a live TV broadcast. And so millions of people would be, would have been watching that show. And Susie and the Banshees was on the show. And there was another radio DJ that was on the show. And Johnny from Ross really didn't like it. And the, the DJ was really taking the piss out of Tony so much so that in the end tony just said like you're just a, um, i can't remember he said you're just a wank or a mug or something like that but this all came out this was what came out after after all of that you know
So Tony was then using his marketing machine to, to, you know, get the word out again. He was attracting attention to, um, the scene itself and later licensing. So you could have later licenses for his parties, which, you know, that's okay as well. And so what's this one? Con behind giant acid bash. Con behind giant acid house bash. The organizers of a massive acid house party may face legal action for conning the owners of the site where it was held. Police also want to interview the people behind the party, which attracted more than 10,000 youngsters on Saturday night. The party was held at the White Wolfham Airfield in Birkenshire. A spokesman for the local council said last night, if these people did not have an entertainment license, they may be taken to court by us. James Mitchell, director of the Worldwide Productions based in Soho. re James Mitchell. <laughs> James Mitchell, director of the Worldwide Productions based in Soho, signed a contract with the owners of the site to shoot a pop video. But building giants John Molem and London firm Claymore Properties were stunned when they heard of the party of their land. Last night, a spokesman for John Molem said, we were conned. We believed that Mitchell, Mr. Mitchell was going to use the land for a pop video. Police were called to the party after complaints about noise, but they denied that drugs like ecstasy and cocaine were widely used. Now, James Mitchell, he's a friend of the old firm, called son. And obviously, James fronted it out because one of the things that we all did back then is that we had to lie in order for us to get venues and suitable land because at this point, no one would rent land. If you mentioned Acid House, a rave, you know, people dancing in the field, to anyone that owned land, that owned you know, a, a venue, a warehouse, a massive warehouse or an aircraft field or a film studio. And in 1989, they would get as far away from you as they possibly could. Um, and one of the reasons were is if they owned something that was licensed by the government, there was a good chance their license would get taken off of them. They would be threatened by police that it would be taken off of them because police would, if police saw their... Uh, address on a flyer for example because we had that problem ourselves when police we we tried to do some legal events we tried to do one in a club um and we we put the actual address onto the flyer and you know as soon as that went out onto the market the flyer went out police contacted the the owner of the club and said mate if you have them in there we are going to object to your next license application and so that's how so the club owner just rang us and said mate i can't take that chance see you later this happened frequently and so you'd have to lie and what really kind of excited property owners and you know venue owners whatever you want to call it was when if when you approached them with like music business pop videos or you were making films, you know, or you were making feature length documentary films and you needed to create reenactments and you were doing it for Channel 4, you were doing it for BBC, perhaps you were doing it for Sky. You had to front it, you know, you had to 
put your balls on the table, so to speak, and just go for it, you know? And you had to carry that swagger that you had the backing of serious legal firms because that's what scared everyone the most, the, the, the legality of it. And although they were questioning us not having entertainment, our music and dance license, the fact that it could be questioned whether we had membership um, clubs, so made it, which made, kind of made it a private members club, the fact that people had membership cards and the fact that we had their names and addresses, we would send newsletters out and they were on mailing lists and all this stuff, that kind of helped us if we had a we had a strong case to be private members clubs you know and so whenever that they were you had lawyers around you know the the you know the the, the policeman would be quite worried <laughs> about you know whether or not he had any real power and so you'd have to go in and you'd have to lie to these owners so you you'd put, you're making a video as i said documentary film or anything like that and at this time, Tony couldn't front it, and there were lots of people on the Sunrise team that couldn't front it at this point because their, their names had been too high profiles, particularly Tony. So they grabbed an old friend of ours, James. James did a lot of original stuff in Ibiza, 1989, 1990. I think he was one of the guys that made the terrace quite famous, the space terrace quite famous, old James Mitchell. Good on your son. So that was that. So that's that was a bit about... The sunrise and the sunrise impact that sunrise had. So this was all going on. And there, at the moment, there's parties going on all over the country. And this was one of the beauty of it, of of such wide publicity in the press. It was it, it, it meant that these events were happening. Yeah, you had only a couple of big ones or one big one would happen on a national scale. But then you would have hundreds of smaller parties that some of them were geared for 300 people, 500 people, you know, a thousand people. And they would be happening everywhere in every county across the UK. So there were lots of raids that were going on across the nation, you know, and here, here, here's just some of them. And I'll just read a few of the headlines for those that are listening. I've got 15 articles here and the headlines go as such. Acid Ted's soccer yobos turn on to pop cult drug craze. 2,000 acid fugs in battle with cops. Arrests in night of arrests in acid night of terror. Cops back off in acid house battle. CS gas heavies beat off acid party cops. Cops in acid battle. Cops battle with acid party yobs. Devil dogs fight acid party. Devil dogs fight acid raid cops. Drivers acid mob terror. Ex champ Horace on acid house charge. Sorry, I read it again. Ex champ Horace on acid riot charge. Fury as acid party louts go on the rampage. Riot police battle. Acid party yobos. Three thousand in seaside. Acid riot. I mean, dude. <laughs> and I mean, I've got a lot more articles that have been unsorted. These are just some of the ones that have been sorted into folders. Regrettably, when I scanned most of these 
articles, I didn't really scan the dates. So I still got the articles that there, but they are locked away somewhere, locked away somewhere safe. So where should we take it from here? Let's start here. See, this is still 1989. And this was in the build up to them to the government actually created a dedicated police force. And again, this was really trying to engineer fear in the general public that that these parties were completely anarchic they were controlled by gangsters and villains and criminals with their privatized security forces that everybody feared and at the moment on screen now is an illustration created in one of the newspapers one of these cartoon type illustrations and what it shows it shows uh it shows a militarized kind of security guard and he's standing there with a chain linked lead to lead onto a big like rock whaler dog so this security guy is standing there he's standing outside a building with loads of people queuing to get into this acid house party and it's called and the quote below it is and now introducing the new improved privatized police force and there's this militarized type guy he's standing there he's got a right helmet on on the right helmet it says security operations division he's got a knuckle duster attached to his his belt bucket his utility belt he's got cs gas attached to it he's got a walkie-talkie he's got a bat with nails knocked into it he's got a pair of steel cap boots with spikes on the bottom of them and he's got a chain linked lead on a massive rock whaler with snarling teeth and spikes on the soles of its feet. And now introducing the new improved privatized police force. Again, this was fear. This was all galvanizing the government to actually be seen to be publicly doing something. And so this, this particular folder is just full of the horrors. <laughs> And ah, oh, terror. Terror was a word that was also used quite often. And this was twenty third of October, nineteen eighty nine, Daily Star, on a Monday, after the mad weekend. Drivers acid mob terror. Dozens of terrified motorists were trapped at a service station, taken over by acid house fans. They pulled off a motorway for petrol and found themselves hemmed in by a freaked out mob. The motorists cowered in their cars with the doors locked as wide-eyed trippies danced around the vehicles yelling and whooping. Police sealed off the area to try and break up the revelers and eventually succeeded in filtering car pack. I'm sorry because some of it's a bit blocked off and succeeded in filtering cars of acid fans back onto the M3 in Surrey. Motorist Graham Ashporter from Wiltshire was stuck at the service station for more than two hours. He described the situation as terrible and frightening. More than 1,000 partygoers made a rendezvous at the Fleet Street service station 
late on Saturday night on their way to an all-night bash at an empty warehouse in Andover, Hans. About 400 Acid House fans turned up for an event. Oh, this is another story at the end. About 400 Acid House fans turned up for an event at Briscombe, Gloucestershire, only to find out it was a harmless pig roast and firework display. When they were turned away, they set fire to a motorbike and damaged cars and vans. So before we get to that, um, so what are they talking about here? So it's a service station. Now, those of you that obviously went to these types of events will know what that means. And service stations were used as meeting points for promoters who were staging parties around the M25. And they were really important strategic points in our ways of getting people to the, whatever venue we're going to be using in, in whichever part of the world, in whichever part of the world, <laughs> whichever part of the M25. And these service stations, they gave you such a good advantage point in that police couldn't really, the way that police were, in the end, they were looking for parties were in helicopters. And so, or if you, if you actually gave the address of a party or if you were too near to the meeting point, wherever it might be, the service station or wherever it might be, it was really easy for police to find a venue because they would just create, you know, a, a, a zone of about 10 miles from the actual meeting point and they would search everything within that and end up, find, and end up finding the party. So service stations, you could never tell where the party might be because we could send you anywhere. We could send you onto any motorway and if we had two different service stations, one on one side of the M25 and then the other one on the other side of the M25, it made the police's job of finding the actual venue really, really difficult. And, and so it was a major gameplay for, for party promoters. And it was a way of that we could move massive amounts of people. And when I say massive amounts of people, I'm talking thousands and thousands of people from one place to another place in a really short amount of time. And what would happen at some of these service stations is that the police actually would create a roadblock. So, and they would block everybody inside this service station. And those who might be listening from other countries that don't know what a service station is, a service station was just a, a pit stop on the motorway. And in that pit stop, you'd have service, you'd have a petrol station, You'd have loads of shops, you could eat food, you could go to the loo, you know, that kind of thing, really. Um, and so, and so, you know, some of them were quite big. They were quite thriving. You know, they, they had lots of shops. They were like, like malls as such, you know. And police, whenever you had problems at these service stations, you, although because you didn't really have problems, but when you did have problems, it was normally because the police would block everybody inside the service station. And so I, I remember this particular story. I'm sure that, that there were some other stories in other newspapers where they were interviewing the normal motorists because what they're saying here is that the, these normal motorists were blocked into a service station and that there were a bunch of people high out of their minds on drugs, freaks, and they were just being a menace to the rest of the drivers and to the rest of the people that were in that service station. It would be loads of families, Depend on what time of the night is, but this is at night. So um, there would be people who, who are tired and they're taking a pit stop, you know, just to rejuvenate some energy. Um, 
and so what they're saying is that they've got blocked in well they're not even mentioning the fact that the police originally blocked the motorway so they're not even mentioning that they mention it later on as if this was a reaction to what was going on in the service station when it was the other way around police have blocked the service station they blocked a lot of normal drivers in the service station and it was the people in the service station the normal drivers who were getting really irate with the police and i remember there's there's some stories in the other newspapers about this particular incident and they interviewed the normal drivers and they were saying like why are police blocking us in they should let us go um and there was no mention of anyone else being terrorized or anything like that um but yeah so that's so that's the service stations and we really utilize those service stations they they become a really important tool in our box you know and then this one this one this at the end there's another little story and that one's about 400 acid house fans turned up for an event only to find it was a harmless pig roast and firework display um and then they're saying when they were turned away they set fire to a motorbike and damaged cars cars and fans who's to say that really happened but what i would say is that i don't one i don't believe this story this this story seems a bit fake saying 400 you know, I don't believe that. That's a, that's a big number. But what would happen is when everyone was trying to get to the parties, it, you know, if you actually got onto the right convoy of cars that was going to the right party, then you were lucky because there were other convoys of cars that were going the wrong way. And this happened really frequently as well. People would tag onto the wrong convoy of cars and end up at a totally different party than what they set out on. And then there will be other people that people that knew that they're having a party and they intentionally would lead people away to their party, which is a totally different party. And you know, that's how they got their crowd. But this one, this one's saying that uh, 400 people turn up at this firework display <laughs> and this harmless pig roast, you know, and Obviously, we were a bit upset that it wasn't an acid house party and that they set things on fire. I mean, it does, doesn't fit in with the character of the type of people that used to go to these parties. It doesn't. It really doesn't that they set fire to something. Um, again, who's to say? I can't say. But it, for me, this doesn't fit in line with the people that went to these types of events characters. So let's let's have a look at another one. um this is 25th of the 9th 25th of september 1989 fury as acid party louts go on the rampage by simon hughes Rampa rampaging acid house yob sparked a new storm last night after terrorizing a village Angry locals said 10,000 partygoers woke them up by blasting them with music, roaring around in their cars. They also ruined valuable crops. The hordes paid £20 a head for the bash, said to be raising cash for the survivors of the Thames disaster. They descended on a World War II hangar at Raiden near Ipswich, Suffolk, near Ipswich, Suffolk at 3am yesterday. Villagers became prisoners in their own homes as drivers clogged narrow lanes. 
Furious farmers said the louts called thousands of pounds of damage to crops by cutting across fields to acid whisked Jeremy Taylor's bash. I'll get back to that. Other locals slammed police for not intervening to halt the rowdy bash, but a spokesman for the 70 cops who stood by said that they were solely intent on maintaining the peace. Earlier, a mob heading to the rave up looted petrol and goods at a garage on the A12 near Gloucestershire. Organisers of the Marchioness Disaster Fund disowned the event. So this was in relation to the Marchioness Disaster, which happened on the Thames, which happened in 1989. And there were some parties that was going on after then. And they were saying that they're raising money for the Marchioness disaster and that all funds from those events would be going to the Marchioness disaster. And this event happened. Well, in fact, this event, the original event was actually stopped. Um, as far as I know, I mean, I wasn't involved in it, but the original event was actually stopped at the last minute. Like, so on the night of the event, I think a high court injunction was found or something which stopped the original party. So this party was something that kind of sprang out of nowhere. There was thousands of people on the streets ready to go to this event and thousands of people phoning up the, the help lines, the, the, the information lines, you know, saying, where's the party? And this event, it started early in the morning. I, I can't, I think it was like really, I mean, it, the daylight was breaking when this party began in the morning um where are we we're in september so it wouldn't be too dark but it was daylight breaking so it might have been i mean and here it says at 3 a.m but it was later than that i think it might have been like five six or something like that as when we arrived at this this aircraft hangar that they're speaking about so i was at this party you know it, you know i mean i think jeremy taylor and it was for this party or another party. I don't want to be snitching. <laughs> um, I mean, it is mentioned his name's there. That's why I might have got mixed up. But one of the parties. Oh no, no, it wasn't this one. It was. Um, yeah, it was another one. It was. It was another one. But yeah, so yeah. In, in fact, I told this story on my podcast when I interviewed Jeremy Taylor and Tintin. They were the guys that did the energy parties in an earlier podcast. I actually mentioned to them because I was there and I won't go over the whole story because it's, but it's a quick story. But I was there and at one point they had this wooden structure. People was all weighing down on the structure. So they were standing on top of it dancing. And again, this is it's daylight now. It was maybe eight, nine in the morning. And I went over and I, and I told everybody to get down off of this wooden structure. And about 10 minutes later, this middle-aged couple came, approached me, claiming that I was the, the well, the first words they said to me was, this is your party. And, I, and I, said, I said, no, it isn't. And so they were like, no, we know this is your party. Someone has told us this is your party. This is our land you haven't had got permission to be here. And I was like saying, no, this is not my party. So this happened at this party. And yeah, I would say this when 
because it was the thing about being in the country where this was and i would say to the villagers i, I the villagers definitely would have been disturbed by this because all the i must say all the roads were jammed up with people in the morning it would have been quite shocking again at that time people are coming out of their houses in the country people have been awake for hours you know and so they they would have, their travel would have been impeded by traffic jams essentially traffic jams in roads and narrow lanes that there's never ever been traffic jams in before so that would have been quite shocking if you can imagine growing up in in a small quiet village you know with minimal amount of traffic driving through your village and minimal amount of traffic of driving down the small lanes behind your house or whatever and then waking up one day and there's hundreds of cars driving past your house you know it must have been quite scary i mean what would you even think if you'd never even heard of acid house what would you think just suddenly you know one or two cars go past your 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 window an hour your house and then suddenly there's hundreds of cars going past at five in the morning you know three in the morning whatever time it is that could be quite daunting could be quite scary um the fact that they're saying that people were rampaging and terrorizing the village you know were they were they terrorizing the village I don't know if they were, dude. Come on. I mean, yes, they were disturbing the villagers for sure, impeding their travel for sure. You know, noisy traffic noise, you know. Um, no empathy for the locals. I totally for sure. But terrorizing is a bit bit a bit a bit heavy. Um I, I, they probably did ruin crops. Because I, I do remember at one point, well, actually, I don't remember that. I'm mixing up with a different party, but they probably ruined crops. Yeah. yeah. What what else are they saying? Um, villagers became prisoners in their homes. Yeah, I can believe that for sure. Um, blah, blah, blah. Earlier, I mean, this, this bit, I mean, they, uh, here's the thing. They're saying 70 cops stood by, you know, as their intent was on maintaining the peace as they should be peace officers that's what they do but earlier a, a mob heading to the rave up looted petrol and goods could that be true i don't know obviously people the of the marchioness disaster fund disowned the event who could blame them and so there, there was a big riot at one of the parties um fantasy was it? I can't remember if it was 1989 or 1990. This was it here. And this one, there's video you can that you can watch this video on YouTube. And if you ever see any cuts, video cuts, and you see one of the cuts, and there's like loads of people trying to push a police van and turn it over. That's the fantasy party, and that's the only time when that actually happened. Which, in my knowledge. You know, it probably happened in other places, but if you read and if you believed the newspapers, you would think that this was happening every single weekend, you know, but it didn't. It happened once or twice throughout the whole time. Um, and, and it was the fantasy party. And I have to say that people did get arrested for it and people did go to prison for it. Uh, I know a chap that went to, did go to prison for it. He was 
in a lot of the footage, you know, and he was quite a distinctive chap. And I didn't know that he got arrested and got put away in prison for it. It was like 20 years later, I was in a, a, a bar in, in Chelsea with a friend and she's, she's passed now, bless her. And he came in and, you know, we started talking and I said to him that I hadn't seen him since then. And he, and he said that he, I can't, I, I'd be lying if I said, I know, I remember how much sentence he did, but I think he said three years he got for that. So the story, this is the story, uh, the article that I'm looking at right now, for those listening, uh, the headline reads, CS gas heavies beat off acid party cops. Now, this was all the press that was happening on the Monday after the actual event. As I said, I can't remember if it was 1989 or 1990. Bouncers used tear gas to beat off police trying to break up an acid house party. The 26 officers were also attacked with baseball bats by about 60 party organizers and self-styled security guards with Rockwellers, Dobermans and a Pitbull Terrier. 16 police were injured and seven needed hospital treatment after suffering the effects of gas. Another needed 17 stitches in his arm and hands and had two fingers broken. Two police vehicles were damaged in the running battle near Rygate, Surrey and every window in Superintendent John Hoyle's official Granada was smashed. Mr. Hoyle withdrew, withdrew from the party amid fears that a policeman had been taken hostage. Really? And as the night turned into a bitter confusion, he decided that two men who had been taken prisoner should be released to prevent further trouble. So they had obviously arrested a couple of people and when they thought that someone, a police officer had been kidnapped or was been held hostage, they decided that they would release the other two chaps that they'd arrested. Police were forced to stand back and watched as vehicles jammed the roads and the number of revelers swelled to 10,000. Reinforcements were called in from neighboring areas. By daylight, about 150 officers were ready to move in on the party in a field at Sidlow Bridge off the A217. Police eventually made 51 arrests for drug offences, possession of offensive weapons and threatening behaviour. Mr. Hoyle said the fighting started when he tried to stop the party being set up. He made a tactical withdrawal because he feared that there could be a bloodbath. During the night, the field was in total darkness and it would have been dangerous for us to have done anything like move in, Mr. Hoyle said. When we withdrew, Calm came and it was clear any attempt to stop the party would have caused severe aggravation. And this is somewhere else, I think, this one. In the Cotswolds, police found children as young as 12 attending an acid house party. They seized cannabis and illegal, illegally sold alcohol drinks in a 3 a.m. raid on a barn near Cheltenham. Another 300 officers from all over Essex arrested 90 people after a coordinated swoop on the acid house parties at Basildon, Grays and Harlow. Police found cannabis, heroin, cocaine, ecstasy. So, you know, that was quite a big night, you know. Um, probably what the policeman was saying here, uh, during the night, 
the field was in total darkness and it would have been dangerous for us to have done anything like move in. I totally agree with him. It, it, it was in total darkness. Um, you even see from the video is I've been, and I've been in those situations. You, you, you don't want to have been there, you know, but there was, it. you know, I mean, the people that were involved in the riots would, you know, they see it in a totally different way, obviously, but, you could see how it could be construed to be quite a scary situation. <laughs> but yeah, so that was that. But there was a few stories from this one party. And I can't remember. Is this part of it? I don't know if it is. So let me just say this. Let me just do a disclaimer. Now, I'm not sure if this is the same party but we shall find out uh, bear with me it's the writing the text is a bit small so what i'm looking at now is an article with a picture of a heavyweight boxer heavyweight horace uh, ex-champ horace on acid riot charged a boxer accused over party former boxing champ horace notice was remanded in custody yesterday after an acid house battle which left 16 policemen injured. The 32-year-old heavyweight faces a charge of riot, which can carry a jail sentence for up to 10 years. Notice was one of eight security guards arrested when trouble flared after police arrived at the huge open-air party which attracted 10,000 youngsters. The 6'1 fighter, British and Commonwealth champion, until eye problems forced him to quit last year, was handcuffed to a policeman as he appeared before magistrates at Raygate, Surrey. Defence lawyer David Forsyth pleaded in vain for notice of well... Sorry. Uh, Defence lawyer David Forsyth... Let me make it bigger. Pleaded in vain... Let's make it bigger. pleaded in vain for notice of Welling Kent to be given bail. The former title holder wanted to be with his pregnant girlfriend who was in hospital. Mr. Fostry said notice now lives on £124 a week. The boxer from the same fight stable as the Frank Bruno hung up his gloves after doctors declared, after doctors discovered the detached retinals on both eyes. It sunk his chance of a £50,000 European title with Italian Fra Francisco Damina. Other three men accused of riot were also mechanic Delroy, blah, blah. And another one was a postman, blah, blah, all South London. Four other security guards were last night charged with riots. Saturday night's clashes came when 25 policemen arrived at an acid house extravaganza in a field outside Rygate about 60 security men, some with rockwalers, were on guard as youngsters flocked to the £15 a head bash. The police were forced to retreat and senior officers called for 150, called for 150 reinforcements. A BBC video of the scenes were being studied by detectives yesterday. So yeah, I think it is the same. This is the same party we were just talking about. What's this? Um, I was just looking at another piece of the... So yeah. So Horace obviously had fallen on hard times and he was a security 
one of the security guards at at, at the, this party. I guess it was fantasy. And I think there's another one, another one here. I think this is the same party. Now this article. Oh, maybe not. This is another one. That's it. Let's just have a quick scheme through it. Oh no, this is another one. This one is on Monday, August the 21st, 1989. I've only actually scanned half of the image, so I can't really get it all. Riot police battle acid party yobbos. Van set alight in frenzy. So it's, it's showing a police SPG van, which has been burnt out. And beneath it says, burned out, the police van attacked and set ablaze by 2,000 wild acid house rev revelers yesterday. Revelers battled with police. I can't really see it. I can't really read the, the rest of it, but that's some headline. Yeah, I can't really see, can't really read it. But also a, a man, drug dance man dies. So a man died at a party, they're saying, in Surrey. Yeah, right, police battle acid party yobbos. Here's another one. And this one, we have Devil Dogs Fight Acid Raid Cops. Devil Dogs Fight Acid Raid Cops. Acid party guards armed with baseball bats, CS gas, and vicious Rottweiler dogs fought a pitch battle with police and won. They forced police to back down when they tried to stop a party for 10,000 people. Music from the party blared out all night and did not end till yesterday morning. Officers arrested one guard and were then forced to free him to avoid a full-scale riot. So this is the same event. So these were all the different newspapers from that day. I think this might have been a Today newspaper. So these were all the different news coverage of one riot, basically. Um... Here's another one. Again, this I'm sure I think this is um 1989, but I don't know. So 2000 Acid Fugs in Battle with Cops by David Wooding. Riot police were bombarded with bricks, rocks, and a sharpened four-foot stake as 2000 yobs rampaged for a seaside town early yesterday. The bank holiday clash came after officers broke up a late night acid house party in a car park. Police were ready for trouble, having been caught unaware last year when disco speakers were set up in the same place. Holidaymaker Carl O'Tooley said there were people running up the road with police chasing them with truncheons and riot shields. Police were frying bottles at people were frying bottles at them. Use went wild along, along the seafront at Bournemouth. Dorset, smashing shop windows and wrecking parked cars. Five policemen are hurt in a two-hour street battle. 18 people were arrested and will appear in court today on public order charges. Six police cars were damaged as the mob attacked them. Chief Superintendent Richard Thomas said, at about midnight, missiles were thrown at some officers and that's when it was decided to break up the gathering. 
Mm, 2000 acid fugs in battle with cops. I mean, it's so dramatic, isn't it? This, this, here's, here's another one. 3000 in seaside acid house riots. Police fought running battles with nearly 3,000 rampage, rampaging teenagers after a bank holiday beach party exploded into violence. Five cops were injured when officers came under a barrage of bottles, bricks and stones. The two-hour riot began as teenagers tried to stage an illegal acid house bash at a disused bus station near Bournemouth Pier. 18 youths will appear in court today. Half a million people flocked to the Notting Hill Carnival in West London yesterday. So this is going to be August 1989. Uh, but police reported few problems. More than 100 people were arrested during the two-day street party, mainly for drunkenness. All right, so they're not, they're not talking about they're talking about other stuff. They're not talking about acid house. I guess they're just talking about generally speaking. But okay, but where's this 3,000? But yeah, but that was the headline, 3,000 in Seaside Acid Riot. So let's move on to something else. So at this point, they started to talk about sending the party promoters to prison. And and the article I'm looking at right now it, it is 1989, and it's headlined, Acid Organisers Face Jail Terms. Organisers of unlicensed acid house parties could face six months prison terms, £20,000 fines and confiscations of, confiscation of profits under proposals yesterday from the Home Secretary, Mr David Waddington. He has decided that the existing penalties under entertainment licensing laws are not sufficient to control noise disturbance and traffic congestion. Mr Waddington hopes that our benchmark Mr. Waddington hopes that a benchmark MP will introduce private legislation to increase the maximum fine from £2,000 to £20,000 and allow prison sentences for up to six months. He has also planned, he also plans to allow magistrates to confiscate profits over £10,000 made by anyone convicted of organising illegal parties or allowing their property to be used for them. The Hobe Office said the new punishments could also be applied for unlicensed pop or folk festivals. Mr Waddington said in a written Commons reply, my proposals will, will enable the courts to hit hard the pockets of the organisers of illegal parties while, while safeguarding the interests of local communities and genuine party goers alike. The Environment Secretary, Mr Chris Patton, said he was consulting local authorities about tougher controls on noise nuisance. Remember this emphasis on noise because they want to make noise a criminal offence. Mr. Colsonator, an acid house party organiser, said the plans were tot totalitarian and that his parties were attended by peaceful, fun-loving dance music enthusiasts. They are private parties held on private property. A 19.1 million pound program of additional funding for bail hostels, blah blah blah, for that something else. So you can see in this article there is an emphasis on one private parties, 
I mean, there's Tony that's highlighting the private parties, but they also want to throw promoters in prison and or anyone because it, it could be the DJ. If you were the DJ that you were caught in that warehouse and you got there before we got there, for example, you could be arrested and it was you that could end up with this £20,000 fine. And then, I mean, this was the early talks. After then, they started saying that the six months in prison was going to be a mandatory. So you automatically get six months in prison regardless. You get this £20,000 fine and all assets over £20,000 confiscated from you. So they were coming after the money. The money, the money was, they wanted it. <laughs> and so they were coming after the money really hard. But, you know. What was the point? What's this? Okay. Let's have a little look. Who's next? Yeah, this is another article talking about um, party promoters going to prison. And the article I'm looking at is headlined, Jail for Acid Party Bosses. A crackdown on the menace of huge acid house parties is on the way. Organizers could face jail and have their massive profits from this parties seized. Minister, min, ministers are looking at ways to stem the craze that has brought violent clashes between police and party goers. This is a quick short one. Turn to page two. We won't be turning to page two, but uh, let's have a look. Did I? Let's have a look at some Genesis ones. Um, here's one we did with Jarvis. So I'm just going to look at some of the press cuttings from the Genesis folder. Genesis were obviously parties that I did. And so this one, the headline is Village Fury over 13-hour acid rampage. <laughs> Village Fury over... 13-hour acid rampage. Villagers were furious yesterday after an invasion of 4,000 youngsters for a 13-hour acid house bash. Roads into Mepham, Kent, were blocked by cars and vans. Residents were blasted by the all-night music and cattle. Sorry. Let's cut that and do it again. So village fury over 13-hour acid rampage. Villagers were furious yesterday after an invasion of 4,000 youngsters for a 13-hour acid house bash. Roads into Mepham, Kent were blocked by cars and vans. Residents were blasted by the all-night music and cattle wrecked fences as they tried to flee the racket. Petrol cheats filled their tanks at a local garage and left without paying. There were no arrests. Acid house parties also brought chaos to Shroham, Handcross and Skaynes Hill in Sussex. So this party was an outdoor party in a field that uh, we ended up joining biology. Biology, it was their party at first. And Genesis of Biology ended up through no fault of our own that we both declared a party on the same night um i can't remember if this is 88 or 89 i think this is i think this is 89 and we both declared a party on the same night and we were going head to head 
you know, I created radio adverts. I think we created three or four different flyers as we was getting closer and closer to the event. And unfortunately, two of our venues actually got discovered by the police and we had no venue. So by the time that weekend came, we didn't have a venue. And so I called Jarvis because that was the right thing to do. We'd sold thousands of tickets and we were lucky to have sold thousands of tickets, especially during that climate. And so we called Jarvis and said, look, you know, we're sold. We've done that many tickets. You're sold, but we sold a bunch of tickets. Our, our venues have been discovered. Can we join up with you? And so we ended up doing a collaboration with him. He charged us five figures cash up front. I remember that bit. And the story's in my book. And he didn't tell us when, when I paid him that money. I honestly thought that we were joining up for an indoor event. And he, he didn't have to actually say whether it was an indoor or outdoor event, because you know, it was all about secrecy. I assumed it was an indoor event and it wasn't, it turned out it was an outdoor event and it rained that night as well. So some of the party got drowned out, but I did go down there. And I remember I got caught in a traffic jam just outside the venue from where it was. And we were just caught in this massive traffic jam in these small, narrow streets, trying to get into Mepham into get, trying to get into the field, you know, so somewhere you could park because you couldn't park in this narrow road. Cause I imagine people would have, and I was sitting in traffic and we were all in different cars. I was in the car with my girlfriend and people were coming away from the venue. And so I asked a couple of people, I said, you know, is it indoor mate? Or, you know, what's the venue like or whatever, you know, and someone said, oh, it's an outdoor event. And when I heard that, I kind of felt, don't get me wrong, I felt like he tricked me, Jarvis. <laughs> I felt like I've been tricked, but you know, I guess I should have asked more questions or I guess I should have pushed it a little bit more. Um, so I can't say I got tricked, you know, so it was an outdoor venue. So I turned around, I turned my car around and I went home. And I, when I spoke to people the next day, I have to be honest, loads of people were saying it was a good event and that they had a great time. So really a lot of people, I was really surprised at the amount of people that said they had a good time. And I've got some, I've got some pictures of it somewhere. I think um, Tabby, was there she took some pictures for us um and i got those pictures somewhere uh, but this was a story that came out on the monday you know 13 hour acid rampage so yeah so that's that's really the story behind that so i mean there's so much so many more there's so many more articles to get through and i'm not quite sure if this is boring or not so this this is another illustration and this was in one of the national newspapers and this was at a time again when everything was really secret and this what this demonstrates the fact that there are all types of people of all different classes going to these events uh, and this illustration is basically two people a woman it looks like she might be at Ascot or something like that. 
with her hat on. Uh, she's got an acid t-shirt on, but you could see she's obviously posh. She's drinking wine, talking to a geezer with a shirt on. And she's saying, mustache, strawberries at Wimbledon, champers at Henley, ecstasy at dot, dot, dot. So that's quite fun. Um, I took this out of a, a magazine. I can't really remember. And it's, it's an illustration of a big bouncer, unshaven, standing at the door. And above the door is a sign that says, a bloody good, expensive and hard to get in nightclub. And then there's someone trying to get in. It's got scraggly hair, you know, scraggly jumper. Come on, mate, let us in. And the doorman is saying, sod off. Because this is how it was in the 1980s club land. It was difficult to get in clubs. You had to dress a certain way, look a certain way. You can't turn up with too many fellas. You know, you, you had so many things that were requirements of you. But then there were still companies that were, you know, still cashing in. Even at the height of, this was for, for um, a cassette. I can't remember what cassette it was. I just scanned just this part of it. But this was advertising one of the big uh, cassette tape brands. I can't remember which one. Um, but I always really, really liked it. It was powerful, you know. When you can tape louder, you can play louder. And it's a smiley and he's like, you know, looking like he's up to a bit of mischief. And he's got a set of headphones on. But yeah, I've always really liked that image. So, I mean, it's part two of the media hype. I think I should probably leave it there. I've been, I've been speaking now for a bit. I think I should definitely leave it there. I'll leave it. I'll leave you with this image. And I think this was 1990. And for those that are listening, the headlines is thousands in acid house drug parties. I mean, that's some headline, isn't it? You know, and we were all young when this was all happening. You know, when these headlines were coming out, I, I was 22 years old. That's what I mean by young. We wasn't 14 or 15. You know, I was 22 and these events, we were attending all of these events and there's, there's nothing sinister was going on as far, especially as far as the ravers, we had problems. So you could hold the promoters under a light and you could hold me under a light and say, you know, Wayne, well, you were kidnapped and you know, you, you, you saw violence, you know, and yeah, that's true. You know, but generally the people that attended the parties, the people that were raving, uh, the ravers, the dance music enthusiasts, the party goers, whatever you want to call them, essentially, they didn't see any of that. They didn't see any of the aggressions. They didn't see any of the violence. You know, they, they knew, obviously, not to come into that money room where there's four or five blokes standing outside the doorway. But and they looked might have looked sinister. But the fact is, how else would you manage 10,000 people in a warehouse that you had just broken into? Our way of doing things, as a lot of these newspapers would suggest, 
people walking around with baseball bats and pickaxe handles and all these types of things. That wasn't really the way. I mean, I could see, I mean, I remember Side Road, yeah. Um, and I remember there was, we did, we was doing the parties anyway, we had some fire escapes at back. And I remember one time there were, and they were locals, you know, it's, it's funny because later on I got to find out who the, the guys were. Everyone was all local lads and they were like, mate, they were like, we're in, we're in the manor and this is, and it was in Hackney. They're like, we're in the manor and then suddenly all these cars are turning up you know and they've all gone inside this building so they've all have arrived but they arrived via the back door and i remember they were they weren't going full hog but they were trying to break in to the warehouse via the back route and i remember one time they were even trying to cut through um backdrops that we had and they were booting doors and at one time we had to have we had to send about 10 of our security just out to deal with that and when they went out there, you know, they were getting attacked and they were fighting and stuff like that. And, and and it was out on a really dark fire escape out back. So if we were aggressively minded, then perhaps we would have had some dudes out there, you know, with baseball bats, just like in what that last story was saying. I don't know. But I can say that we didn't. And... Yes, you could say that, yeah, but you had your security had guns, whatever. But I, I would also say to that, that the, the guns were really around the money. <laughs> it, and that was it. And the guns followed the money. And that's it. They didn't go anywhere else. They were not distracted by anything else that was going on. So, you know. They wasn't walking around fire escapes with guns, you know, and they wasn't walking around. So the point I'm trying to make is maybe there were people that guarded their parties with pickaxe handles or bats, you know, but I would imagine that those pickaxe handles and bats might have been to keep the locals out, the locals that wasn't taking pills, you know, not necessarily to keep everybody out of the heads on drugs inside a building, you know? Um, yeah. So that's it really, I guess for this podcast, which again, these are experimental podcasts. Um, I feel like these newspaper articles are in part, are an important part of the history of it because they show an actual chronology, um, in the rise and the fall of acid house and how the, the newspapers and the media and the government in effect were out at war with youth culture. And it's clear by the, the, the number of newspaper articles. I mean, I'll just give you a quick glimpse. I'll just give you a look. Look, I mean, I'll give you another quick glimpse into another. If you look in each one of these, folders well it's at least too visual yeah i mean i've got hundreds and hundreds of of articles which i was just trying to to show so we can do another part to this and so let's do that so thanks so much for watching on thanks so much for listening i hope it hasn't dragged on i hope you found something that's really interesting this is all historical stuff 
this is all stuff that should be documented it should be recorded rather than it might be just visual now it's on an audio podcast look out for part three again you know subscribe like subscribe comment all of those nice things on social media and i will see you again in for the media hype part three so keep tuned see you then Think it's anything it, to do it, with a certain religion, do you think? No, it's anything it's like that. No, no, it's more to do no. with a kind of a drug, isn't it? It's a drug. Yeah, well, those that take it want to be, be ashamed well. of themselves. According to the Sun, there were Thousands of empty ecstasy wrappers littering the floor of the 250-foot-long hangar. Drugs, sex, sensation. Some newspapers have called Acid House Music a sinister and evil cult which lures young people into drug-taking. The message is certainly getting across. The organisers kept the location secret until the very last moment, which was the main reason, according to the papers, why there were so few police here and they were unable to act. Drug-crazed kids, some as young as 12, boogied for eight hours yesterday at Britain's biggest ever ecstasy bash. The party took place here, infiltrated by reporters from the Mail and the Sun. There's, there's meant to be a drugs-related craze. What do you know about acid house music? It must affect the brain in some way. Unless it's just the music that does it. it. All knows? them lights flashing don't do you any good either, do it? <laughs> I wouldn't even go in the no. pub where them lights are. Oh, no, they drive no. you mad.